0: Welcome to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We are the retro talk program for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff right here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm George. And we welcome you to our program today. We're so pleased to have you with us. We're here with you again for the next half hour or so, bringing back memories and Talking about the past. Well, today we're going to remember a television program which first debuted on the air 50 years ago, and it's still with us. To this very day, and you might think, well, that's kind of an unusual situation, because television programs come and go, as you're well aware, but this one is still very much with us. We're talking about 60 Minutes, CBS News, 60 Minutes, the weekly news magazine, which is seen Sundays at 7 o'clock all over the country, and um, 50 years is quite an accomplishment for a program such as this. It's been on the air since that time period began 50 years ago. We all remember Mike Wallace and Morley Safer, and now there's a whole new generation of of, uh, reporters and correspondents on that show, and we thought we'd spend the next half hour or so talking about that program, because we all have memories of that show, and I'm going to be sharing my memories, and Mike and George are going to share theirs, and uh, a lot of history there, Mike, Uh, 50 years, it's amazing that it's lasted this long, because we said television programs kind of come and go in this day and age, and it's unusual to have one last so long.
1: Yeah, 50 years, and you go back to the format. Don Hewitt came up with this idea and presented it to the executives, the powers that be at CBS. They were in desperate need of some Sunday programming, something that would be notable and effective and long-lasting, and they, he pulled it off. They What they did is create, and even, I think, Harry Reasoner
0: Yes, Harry Reasoner, on the, on the yes. opening on show the opening said show.
1: explained what the, he said. It's going to be kind of like a a magazine, but for TV, a TV magazine. Mm-hmm. And incredibly, that format has lasted the test of time for fifty years and continues because you think of all the spinoffs and all the copycats, and Dateline, and mm-hmm. but the sixty minutes format I thought was so compelling because it was a news magazine. They had these wonderful features. They would go from interviewing a movie star or someone notable in the news, something lighthearted. They would have the video montage, of course, at the end of, of this beautiful creek scene in Connecticut somewhere, yet there was always that episode, which I like the segments in the episodes where... Scammers and wrongdoers would have the 60-minute news crew in their lobby. Mm -hmm. That was always so exciting Mm -hmm. because you felt like, oh, here it comes. They're going after so-and-so, and And it could be the owner of a chain of laundry mats, or it could be a Russian spy Mm -hmm. uh, turned insurance salesman in in Mm -hmm. Roanoke, Virginia, or anything in between. So that was always the hook. That's what kept me going back, and 60 Minutes, people say, I think there was a Seinfeld episode when one of the characters said, you know, there's a feel to Friday, there's a feel, and they mentioned 60 Minutes. Uh, 60 Minutes, there's a certain ritualistic feel (laughs) to Sunday nights telling you the weekend's over, 60 Minutes has started at 7 o'clock, and uh, that caps the weekend, and it connotates Sunday evening, and we're off to a new week. That was almost the... The turning point. That was the benchmark for the week to come.
0: Yeah, and I have a memory to share about that. But, George, I want to bring you in and uh, get your memories on that uh, 60 Minutes.
1: Well,
2: 60 Minutes certainly carried on a great legacy that CBS had started with Edward R. Murrow, who had a wonderful program titled, I believe, Person to Person,
0: person, to person yeah.
2: and which Mr. Murrow would interview a variety of celebrities on a remote basis. And so we had an opportunity to get to know the likes of Marilyn Monroe, uh, Jack Kennedy, and other such great uh, celebrities and historic figures from that era. And what I looked at in terms of 60 Minutes was that it was an extension of that. In fact, I believe if it started in 1968, that would have been three years after the passing of Edward R. Murrow. That's
1: correct, George, yeah. And
2: so consequently, what it did was that it basically elevated the tradition that had been started under Mr. Murrow, and it took it to a much higher level.
0: Absolutely, George. Uh, September 24th, 1968, uh, was when 60 Minutes debuted it uh, began debuting as a bi-weekly feature in other words we one week you'd get 60 minutes another week you'd get a CBS reports and they would alternate that's how it uh, began but getting back to the memories that mike was was sharing just a moment ago that uh, 60 minutes was kind of capping the weekend it was you know the end for me it was kind of a dreadful thing Because what it meant was that the weekend was over and now school was starting the following day and I had to get up early to go to school. (laughs) Absolutely. It
2: it certainly uh, brought back to mind that uh, serious business was about to start and so we had to get ready for that and it sort of kind of provided the transition or the warning sign. I I would agree with you that I had never thought of that until I look back and I think about my high school years because that's, I think, when... uh, It coincided with it being broadcast on a weekly basis,
1: and so you are absolutely right. It marked an important milestone during the week. Some of the more memorable episodes in those shows, again, have have stood the test of time, fellas, because I don't know if you recall, was it Morley Safer who did the segment with Jackie Gleason, where they had a game of pool.
0: Yes, I was just going to they mention that's one of the ones. Jackie you know.
1: Gleason, of course, mm-hmm. chain smoking and talking about the past. I'll never forget that one. It was it was so laid back and light lighthearted. It was like two guys talking in their in their rec room, and some of the other uh, it was a Bob Simon who went to the Abu Ghraib prison, and it was a. Introspective on how prisoners were treated, not much differently than they were 50 years ago. And mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. 9/11, the reporter, I, I believe it was Bob Simon, who went and talked to the Saudis about their involvement or their knowledge of the. Uh, 9-11 attack. So there was a lot of expose. There was quite a bit of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would be remiss if we left out the one and only Andy Rooney Of course, Andy capping Rooney. every show. And he's, of course, he's no longer with us. But those big old brushy, bushy eyebrows, <laughs> that snarly, cynical, old curmudgeon attitude, that was the moneymaker at the end. Because there are people that I know, myself included, that had a lot of things going on Sundays and got Maybe got back in time, missed the front end of 60 Minutes, but always had to get to the end and see what Andy Rooney what he was upset about that particular week
0: Andy Rooney was always a, a funny and lighthearted way of ending the show there could have been some very intense stories but Andy Rooney always kind of put a little smile on your face at the end of the show
2: and I think that's what was a signature mark of 60 Minutes I mean there was seriousness but it was seriousness with the purpose and yet you could also have a bit of fun in doing it and I think Mr. Rooney reminded us about the importance of having a sense of humor sort of harkening mm-hmm. back to the days of Mark That allows us to look at things in a serious light, but also to uh, maintain a sense of humor while doing so. Mike, I wanted to follow up with what you said about that great memory of Jackie Gleason talking with Morley Safer, because that also was one of my favorite memories. And of course, what it reminds us of was the classic role that Mr. Gleason had in the film starring Paul Newman titled The Hustler in which uh, Mr. Gleason played the role of Minnesota Fats, uh, a pool champion. And while he and Morley Safer are engaged uh, in a billiards game, at one point Safer seems to have the upper hand. And I think that this was a spontaneous moment because Gleason suddenly said, hey, am I being hustled here? Or I feel like I'm being hustled. And of course, that harkened back to the movie. And what it did was that it evoked those memories. It wanted you to go back and look at that great movie again. And uh, it reminded you of why Jackie Gleason remained such an endearing personality uh, over the 50s, the 60s, and well into the 70s.
1: And they were the trailblazers in uh, modern television journalism. They set the standard. They created the benchmark for shows to come, as I've mentioned earlier. And, of course, they made the mistakes that are rampant nowadays in today's media and today's journalism. Sixty Minutes uh, were probably the very first when it came to the, the cliché that's being worn out, fake news. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys recall that Sixty Minutes, they they were subject to scandals and controversy, too, over the years. The Sixty Minutes producers, they spiked Mike Wallace's story about Big Tobacco and Dan Rather, his story on uh, fake documents that George W. Bush tried to duck serving in Vietnam, they found out that, that was all erroneous documentation, and basically it was fake news, but no one had heard the term of fake news 50 years ago, or for that matter even 35 or 40 years ago, and now it's a, almost a daily standard. But even though some of those interesting stories that blew up on uh, 60 Minutes back on the producers, they came around because 60 Minutes, you know, the producers and even uh, Hewitt, had such a good way of finessing themselves and coming out still the classy show. Right. Yeah.
0: And uh, that kind of harkens a little bit back, Mike, to um, that in those days when 60 Minutes began, television news had a lot more integrity and a lot more, it was believable. Mm -hmm. If they told you, if Walter Cronkite told you something was happening, it was happening. If Chet Huntley... And David Brinkley were telling you something was happening, it was happening. And uh, sadly, all that has changed, as you as you commented, Mike. George? I
2: wanted to add something that Mike had mentioned to you earlier when he talked about the scene of the babbling brook or the, uh, the nice scene by the lake or stream site there. And that is that I believe that this provided the segue for Charles Kuralt to have a show that he uh, developed later called On the Road Road. with Charles Kuralt, and then also his Sunday morning programs. But if if, uh, memory serves me correct here, that it actually got its beginning on 60 Minutes, because like Andy Rooney, he periodically came in and out, and he had human interest stories. And I believe that uh, Mr. Kuralt was able to, uh, again, provide another type of uh, venue, That was an outgrowth of 60 Minutes, and uh, what a a great way to be able to get a look at Americana, if you will, by being on the road with Charles Kuralt.
0: Charles Kuralt, definitely very well remembered from that time period as well, along with... uh You know the the correspondents that were on sixty minutes regularly, and of course we all remember the the opening of sixty minutes, the stopwatch ticking, just just a familiar scene. And I was thinking about a couple of stories that I remember. I forget if it was uh, excuse me, I forget if it was Morley Safer or Dan Rather. It may have been I can't remember who it was. They visited a um, a gentleman who was a paraplegic who was in a wheelchair, and he had a little monkey that did different things, from the little monkey would jump around and would start the stove up, he'd start the radio up, the gentleman would tell him, okay, I need you to heat some water up. And it was really neat because it was a very touching story, but it had a little bit of humor in it. I'll never forget that story, and I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly who the correspondent was, uh, but that was a neat one. And then there was the one uh, where they interviewed the guy that was a spy or something who had actually killed some people, and he was just very, very frank. Yeah, I, I've been hired to, to uh, you know
1: well, that, that was the mafia
0: hit. The mafia, that. yeah, the, yeah, the hit guy, yeah.
1: And they had him, they had his makeup and a wig and a false goatee, something like and that. Had yeah. him disguised, but he was just very, <clears throat> very blatant about how many people he killed. Mm-hmm.
2: That brings to mind something else, and that is, do <clears throat> either of you recall? Because I certainly do. Was the most Moving an in-depth interview they did with Clinton Hill, who was the Secret Service agent, at at, on November twenty-second, nineteen sixty-three, when President Kennedy was assassinated on the streets of Dallas. That uh, Mrs. Kennedy was seen, you know, climb into the back of the the limousine, Mm -hmm. and he jumped on the back, pushed her back down, and then he rode with them to Parkland Hospital. Mm -hmm. And to hear the depth of emotion. Mm Uh, from Mr. Hill as he recounted that, and also the sense of regret. He wondered, you know, did he do everything he could have done? Could he have done something different that might have prevented the tragic <coughs> events that unfolded that fateful Friday afternoon in Dallas? And, and I found that to be very deeply moving, so much so that I think that later that became the basis for a Clint Eastwood film called In the Line of Fire mm. that uh, talked about a Secret Service agent who was also present and part of the presidential uh, group at that time. And
1: George, 50 years later, do you feel a different, I don't know, for lack of a better term, a gestalt from how you interpret it and how you process the 60-minute show, the format, the stories from 1968? Do you feel a difference when you watch it, say, it, we're recording here in El Cajon on a Saturday, uh, tomorrow night's Sunday. If you were to watch 60 Minutes tomorrow night, would your expectations be the same as 50 years ago? I, I, we're we're 50 years older, of course, but uh, there is a different format. There's some nuances, but does it affect the way you look at feature and news by 60 Minutes? There was a time 60 Minutes drove most of the, the variety-type journalistic news. Now there's so many shows. But is 60 Minutes still the old standby, The kind of the... Uh, the good uncle down the street that it used to be. No,
2: no, not no. at all. But I, I, but I will say, but I will say, that the greatness of sixty minutes is that it still has the capacity to provide a positive surprise. And if I may, I'd like to share two quick examples that mean a great deal with me on a personal basis. First and foremost, as a lifetime USC Trojan alum, I remember just not uh, more than maybe five to ten years ago that Pete Carroll, who is now the uh, coach for the NFL Seattle Seahawks, of course, for 10 years was the coach for the USC Trojan football team. And I remember that 60 Minutes did a profile on Mr. Carroll. And what I thought was unusual about it was that it talked about his work with at-risk kids in the tough neighborhoods of Los Angeles uh, that are surrounding, of course, the USC campus and, and uh other areas of Los Angeles, and I was deeply moved by that, because what it really showed was that this is a person that is not just about X's and O's and recruiting of college football players, but making a positive difference with young people uh, in the immediate vicinity, and they weren't even necessarily football prospects. They were just regular kids trying to make their way in the world, and I thought that was a very thoughtful portrait, because so much of celebrity interviews... Nowadays, tend to be playing the game of gotcha or looking at the scandal. The other one that comes to mind that is even more meaningful to me, being a member of the ordained clergy in the Orthodox Church in America. Mm-hmm was that not long ago there was an episode uh, that was aired on Orthodox Easter Sunday. In fact, it may have been when both the Western Church and the Eastern Church celebrated Easter the same weekend. And this episode focused on Mount Athos, which is one of the oldest Christian monasteries in the world. Yours truly has been there on several occasions. And I was concerned that the 60 Minutes might not handle it properly. But to my surprise... And I must say I was most impressed with the manner in which they handled it, because obviously 60 Minutes being a secular-minded program not only showed uh, deference, but a great deal of respect and humility. Because oftentimes in these kind of settings, and whether it be inadvertent or advertent, they tend to sometimes be condescending. They were anything but. If anything, I think it showed people of faith in a most favorable light. And for that, I will always be grateful to 60 Minutes for doing that.
0: In the earlier days, as we were saying, television news was basically infallible. They told you something was happening or something was one way or another. They weren't putting a spin on it. They were reporting the straight story. Now, unfortunately, that's all changed. But I'm glad that at that time period that they handled those stories well. And um, they're subject, I suppose, to the same uh, limitations that everybody else is now in the news business, that uh, they have to put a spin on it to make it uh, palatable to the general public. That's a sad thing that we see now often now on television and radio to a certain extent, but mostly on television. And 60 Minutes uh, normally uh, you know, is able to handle most of those situations fairly well. Have there been any examples, Mike, recently that you've noticed where uh, 60 Minutes perhaps has been putting more of a spin on something? Or are they still towing the line, do you think? Or are they kind of putting a spin on it? Certainly not as much as some of the cable news networks do, but uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it seems as though CBS, and I'm sure for several reasons, but primarily for legal exposure, uh, they, I, think, see, I think 60 Minutes has been quite watered down in the last 10 years. It, it's a more tame, almost predictable format versus before when you just weren't sure who, are they, who they were going to go after, what they were going to expose, what they were going to profile. Uh, it seems tame. Compared, maybe because we were younger and we were more impressionable, but it seems like the whole 60 Minutes thing is just falling into lockstep with all of the other uh, feel-good, instant gratification shows where let's hit people with with stories and get them titillated and excited, and then let's go to a station break. It doesn't seem as though the original purity that occurred 35, 40 years ago, occurs on, on 60 Minutes as before, and truth be told, I there would have to be a good reason for me to miss a 60 Minutes episode a dozen or 20 years ago. Now it's, well, if there's anything on, and my wife and I aren't out somewhere, and we might tune into 60 Minutes, but I can't. Really, say unless it's a very important, compelling story, I can't say that we'll sit through the whole thing anymore. Yeah, we'll just pick and choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Un- th- unlike sixty, unlike the other, the little brother of sixty minutes, CBS Sunday Morning. Now, I will set my alarm clock to get up early to watch that, or my DVR, because they have, you know, that's more of a variety feature show. But that was, uh, of course, we have the super heroes that we always talk about in, in journalism, broadcasting, you and I, Smitty, uh, t- Charles Osgood, mm-hmm. yeah, for one. Uh, right. He's missed, and, and some of the personalities, I think probably where I'm going at with this is the personality-driven essence of what was once 60 Minutes. I just don't think it's no longer there. And I think maybe that changed when Bob Simon died. I think he was the last of the Mohicans, so to speak, as far as, as providing compelling hot, sizzling content to his stories, mm-hmm. be him missing in Iraq during the war or uh, talking about something going on at, at, the, at the Louvre. Uh, Bob Simon was your go-to guy in the later years. Of course, there was a whole stable of him. Harry Reasoner, Mike Wallace way back, and uh, that whole generation, as with much of our society here, the American society, and the fickleness of the, today's American television audience, because there's so darn many channels. Uh, Things have changed, and I think we've perhaps have grown out of 60 Minutes, so to speak. I was going to note that you mentioned earlier, Mike,
2: about how 60 Minutes did things with class, and I believe 60 Minutes was able in its own way to honor living history. In fact, it sort of provided an important rite of passage for yours truly. My mother kept a scrapbook when, that she had when she was growing up in the 1930s and 1940s, and it, it revolved around famous uh, movie stars of the time, Katherine Hepburn, Betty Davis, and other such stars that we associate with the studio system in the golden era of Hollywood. And then I recall that years later in the 1970s, that 60 Minutes featured person-to-person interviews with none other than Betty Davis and Katherine Hepburn. And both of these ladies themselves evoked style, evoked class from that classic generation. And I was so very impressed because it was able to bring to life all of the things that my mother had captured in Her scrapbooks that were copiously kept with such interesting annotated notes, and then to hear Miss Hepburn and Miss Davis recount those eras, and then at the same time demonstrate that they themselves were not locked in the past, but they were very much involved in the present. Miss Hepburn, for example, talked about how, you know, she would ride a skateboard, you know, to amuse her nephews. Uh, Miss Davis would talk about her involvement with her grandchildren. And so they evoked a sense of revering the past, but not living in the past. And at that time, they were still actively involved with film, but in a different context. Hepburn, of course, later starred with Henry Fonda in On Golden Pond. Betty Davis starred in several of the Disney movies. As a way, actually, of uh, connecting with her grandchildren. And so 60 Minutes allowed us to get a glimpse of these great stars of the past that provided full-dimensional portrayals as opposed to the one-dimensional portrayals that you might find in other tabloids or tabloid-type programs. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that gets back to the, the interesting variety that the mm-hmm. stories on 60 Minutes were. They could be something very hard-hitting, or it could be a soft piece where they were interviewing perhaps a favorite celebrity from the past, such as Betty Davis or Katherine Hepburn, and kind of maybe letting you see their human side and a little sort of an enjoyable piece, not a hard-hitting journalistic news piece, but a, sort of a Uh, That would be more of the magazine side of the program, I would think. Wouldn't you say so?
2: Very much so. And it also hearken back to the memory of Edward R. Murrow doing person-to-person. And I know that in many cases, people say, gee, I recall those programs, I'd like to see those again. I'd like to see the interview with with, uh, then-Senator Jack Kennedy or Marilyn Monroe and other such great stars, or, for example, when they interviewed Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. So it's sort of like, in a sense, 60 Minutes not only elevated the art, but then they were able to come full circle, and they maintain that legacy factor that I think is unique to their network.
0: Those stories that uh, have made the, uh, the pieces. And, Mike, uh, getting back to what you were saying a little bit earlier with reference to how maybe things have been watered down, I tend to kind of agree with you. I think that in the era of Mike Wallace and Morley Safer, it was more of a hard-hitting, you know, you had Mike Wallace staring you down, asking you a question. You kind of like would go, oh, you know, this is this is serious and now perhaps it might be more of a fluff piece or something would doesn't that sound uh, sort of oh maybe absolutely what's happening now Smitty, 60 yeah.
1: minutes they'd do the stories nobody else was doing primarily and that's what made it so intriguing to me though the whole franchise of 60 minutes they'd cover the stuff that the other networks were either reluctant or afraid or just didn't want to bother with their correspondents were geniuses at persuading their subjects to open up and tell the world you know what the world wanted to know uh from even from, uh, richard nixon president elect richard nixon when he came in in 68 i think that was one of the big blockbuster segments they did who promised to restore respect to the presidency well you know how that went down the road and uh, to the torture of prisoners again as i mentioned earlier at abu grab uh, 60 minutes they'd been there and spoken to those who have done things or they they bore witness to things that were done in the world things that we, sitting on our couch or sitting on an easy chair, could never imagine that would go on in the world. And uh, the three of us are probably not the only ones that remember the interview. with It's nothing nothing to snicker at, but the tobacco executive who was dying of lung cancer. Yeah. And And we kind of giggle, but you just see how news has turned, and it goes back to liability. Uh, But this tobacco executive rasping on this interview about what he knew about Uh, the addiction and and the terrible results of of cigarette abuse and use. And you go to the other side, full circle, uh, not full circle, half circle, the other side of of the game, and they're interviewing Miss Piggy or the Ayatollah (laughs) Khomeini or Lance Armstrong. So it was a series of stories that had nothing to do with each other, and that's what made it so compelling uh, as a career journalist, so compelling to me is that they were able... In 60 minutes, technically 46 minutes, 47 minutes, to weave a a tapestry out of a series of stories or profiles that had nothing to do with each other. And, And that's magic. That's journalistic magic, actually.
2: I wonder, though, perhaps if they themselves became a victim of their own success, because now they, of course, uh, inspired so many of their news programs that perhaps now we have information overload. And so even though they were the first and perhaps the best at what they did and continue to do, that perhaps because there's so much of it that we don't have the same feeling for it that we did uh, when it first originated.
0: That's a very good point, uh, George, as we look back uh Fifty years of sixty minutes. Uh, Fifty years they've been on the air, and they were there first, and they were the pioneers.
1: They probably succumbed to the dollars and cents, the bean counters down the hall, too, George. Uh, as with just about every other American staple that we've grown up with, uh, call it a sellout when you have Bob Seeger selling his songs to sell Chevy trucks. You know, and sixty minutes. I, I do. We're going to have to wrap up this segment, folks, but. I wanted to end this story about, story about Andy Rooney. When he was pushing 90 years of age, he had retired in his farewell segment, that he was in the early, the early uh, slavery, so to speak, of Alzheimer's and forgot what he was doing. His son had to write the cue cards for the last show, and Andy Rooney t- suddenly didn't realize that he was, in fact, retiring. And I think that's maybe the essence of the soul of the story of the 60-minute story is they didn't realize that they had had grown or other, maybe a better term to use, deteriorated due to the effects of time and society and dollars and cents, advertising dollars and lawsuits. But uh, after that... After that scathing opinion on my behalf just a minute ago, I think I'm getting Alzheimer's. I forgot what I was going to go with this, but I know we got to close the show. Yep. (laughs) Because Gilbert's giving me the eye. And when I get the eye, the only thing I fear worse is both eyes. (laughs) So we're going to wrap this up, Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. We've so enjoyed presenting this show to you, as with the well over 200 other shows. We do hope you'll... Check out the other shows. There's so many of them. Uh, You could actually spend a weekend. I don't think I would want to, but you're welcome to. But uh, there are shows available. we prefer you to come be our friend on Facebook, and there you could have a link to all the other shows. If you'd like, better yet, go to our website, Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. That's S-I-T-E dot com, and that will direct you uh, to a link to all of our shows, which are also available on Apple iTunes Store. So we do welcome you to sit through, uh, pick a show, pick several. Uh, got a feeling... With well over 200 shows, there's going to be a few shows that relate to you growing up as a baby boomer in the United States of America, our dear country. In the meantime, I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. And I'm George. And we do thank you, and we welcome you back to the next episode, the next series on Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight, coming soon here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.
0: This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.